0: Uh, I often do this sort of silly illustration where I'll bring a girl out of an audience and stand with her and and tell her she's got to act with me, and i hold her hand eventually, talking about going to the movie together as a 12-, 13-, 14-year-old and thinking the whole time about that hand. And then I talk about principle number one, the law of diminishing returns. It takes more and more to capture our imagination and attention and bring us back, and that's the slippery slope we get on when dating is defined
1: by being physical. Welcome to this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Hi, I'm Byron Tyler. It's always a pleasure to get together with you, our Bot Radio Network listeners. No matter where you are right now, we have listeners that are behind the wheel of a Memphis City police car, or maybe you are with Dot and you're doing your job around 240 and trying to help somebody with a flat tire. Maybe you're a school teacher and you're trying to get all your assignments together for the next day. Wherever you might be right now, a mom, a dad, a student in school, we're glad to have you along for this edition of Mid South Viewpoint. Recently, we had the pleasure of doing a two part interview. With Gary Mays. Gary has been in the ministry for over 40 years. Recently, he was the former executive pastor of ministry coaching at Broadmoor Baptist Church in Jackson, Mississippi, which is really the north part of Jackson is in the fringe of our BOT Radio Network listeners. Now, you can drive down 55 on down past Grenada, and I've heard people say they could pick us up, you know, on north part of Jackson. No matter where you're listening today, we're glad to have you along, and also glad to have Gary Mays. Hey, how are you doing, Gary?
0: I am great, Byron. It is great to be back with you. Really enjoyed our other two times together and looking forward to today.
1: Well, when you and I were talking, I was asking you about topics we could discuss and you said there's two things that you're really passionate about, one of which is parenting and helping parents be better parents with their kids and families. And the other topic was dating. So I thought we would talk about the dating dynamics for Christian singles. There was a time in your life and my life, too, where we actually dated. Now, I've been married for 34 years, and you've been married for how long now? Thirty-six. So pretty close together. Yeah, absolutely. We could probably remember some of those Heart crushes and relationships that we were in and out of, and experiences there. And as a youth minister, and I'm sure you've also had a lot of counseling done with singles over the years in your ministry. This is a really a topic a lot of, especially single people are interested in.
0: Well, it affects all of us, uh, virtually everybody at some point. I've got a contention, Byron, that dating our culture is designed fundamentally to fail, and I think we've bought into that. And uh, this isn't a throw the to- Maybe out with the bathwater, but uh, I do have some conviction about how we date, because I dated a fair amount, and I dated terribly, and maybe out of conviction, maybe it's, it's penance or I'm pendulum swinging somewhere, but as I've observed and even worked not only with students but singles over the last 35 or 40 years, I've just come to some pretty deep conviction about our culture.
1: Gary, if I'm single with a desire to be in that lifelong relationship with another Christian single of the opposite sex, of course, how do I know if I'm ready and qualified to date?
0: That's a great question. I think you've got to know who you are in Christ. That's an easy answer, but I think knowing who you are as a believer uh, is a great predicate to actually dating and engaging with other people in these kind of levels. I think the question of how dating is defined and what the expected outcome is, uh, is also something we have to address. Uh, Let me give you an example for just a moment. When I talk to students, and next week I'll be speaking to about 1,200 students about this one afternoon, but dating in our culture, again, I premise designed to fail and also defined, really in our culture, not everybody, not every Christian family, but in our culture, it's defined by being physical. And as controversial as that'll be to some godly and protective parent. That is one of the differences between a friend boy and a boyfriend. That's two different animals. A lot of girls will say, man, I love this guy. He's my best friend. He's a friend boy, but I won't date him because I don't want to mess that up. And I'll say, why? And they'll say, well, once you kiss them, once you hold their hand, and whatever else happens, it's never the same. And we live in a sexualized, hook-up kind of culture. My premise is that we're wired to give and receive affection. I think when the Scripture tells us as an issue of great wisdom to guard our heart, for it is the wellspring of life or it's the center point of life. Uh, I often have said, when we give our heart away, our body follows. Oddly, when you give your body away, your heart follows. So we have these relationships. You know, we see somebody, our eyes connect. You can almost hear this magic moment in the background, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, and you have that first serious crush or first uh, quasi-dating relationship. Um, Because they're defined by being physical, uh, I often do this sort of silly illustration where I'll bring a girl out of an audience and stand with her and and tell her she's got to act with me, and I'll hold her hand eventually, talking about going to the movie together as a 12, 13, 14-year-old, and thinking the whole time about that hand. And then I talk about principle number one, the law of diminishing returns. It takes more and more to capture our imagination and attention and bring us back. And that's the slippery slope we get on when dating is defined by being physical.
1: And that can be a hard, like you said, can be a hard thing because once it begins, you're on a right and trying to get off, it can be quite difficult. Well, as we look at that one person in God's great big earth that is specifically designed to be my soulmate in life, is there really just that one person that we feel like we're on this quest we've got to find, and we get so frustrated in the process of trying to find, is he the right one, is she the right one?
0: I choose and don't encourage thinking about the one right person, and and here's why. I, I think well-intentioned, and I've heard that. And probably taught that at some seasons of my life, but fact is, I think that's a low view of God's sovereignty. And I'm not talking about making significant decisions that are mistakes or being unequally yoked or anything like that, but sometimes we see God's will as one pathway, and if I sin and mess up, or somebody else sins and messes up, I can never be in God's perfect will. For instance, when we think that way, what if the person that is that one perfect person in our thinking, what if they mess up? What if they marry somebody else? Am I relegated to second best the rest of my life? Is that the way God's going to love me because somebody else sinned? Well, the truth is, we live in a broken, fallen world, and sin affects innocent people, admittedly. But I have a higher view of God's sovereignty and leadership in our life, and I don't think God's nearly as concerned about the perfect romantic chemistry mix as he is about men and women who honor him, serve him together, and I think the kind of love dynamic grows out of covenant and out of commitment more than you have an ultimate commitment, and then you grow in a covenant.
1: And don't you think, too, Gary, that being the right person is so much more important than finding the right person?
0: 100%. I mean, that should be the focus is man, my walk with Christ, my commitment to maturity and responsibility and developing and being available to God and living a life of honor and respect, those things ought to all be groundwork that we're laying prior to getting into this uh, kind of dating turmoil or the dating ride that we're talking about.
1: You know, with our technology that we're living in now, with online dating, so many Christians are using services to find Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. What do you think about those type of services?
0: That's a bit of a loaded question for me because I don't, as a matter of principle, I don't think it's a bad thing to be introduced online with somebody who has great common interests, common faith, common dreams, goals, aspirations, and they live close and you can meet somebody. Matter of fact, a huge percentage, I want to say majority, but I can't reference that resource at the moment, But a huge percentage of young adults that I know, that's one of the primary ways they find people to date or to meet. I don't want to dismiss that out of hand.
1: I have met several young couples that are happily married, have children, and they met. And some of them have been international meeting, comes from a different country. They have very happy marriages. <laughs> you know, I say happy marriages, you know, happy marriages are only for a short period of time. <laughs> Something's going to happen in your relationship that's going to challenge that happiness, you know? And that's where you get into talking about commitment, talking about the true character of each other that calls, I guess, the way God loves us to be able to be replicated in the way we love each other.
0: That's right. I don't think fundamentally as a principle, just to be clear, so I'm not misthinking here, I don't have any Problem with people introducing themselves on the internet to each other. I don't have any problem with me introducing two people that I like, admire, see the same values, love for Christ. They're in a season of life, and I think they need to meet each other. Matter of fact, oddly, I've been a matchmaker for many people over the last 40 years. Yeah,
1: I think your son Josh was one of them, wasn't he?
0: Well, I actually sort of called that out for Josh, too. (laughs) Um, It's funny you know that story, but yeah, Josh had done a concert with his band and this beautiful. College girl standing in the lobby. College kids are gathered around Josh getting autographs, which makes me laugh. I see this beautiful girl, Stacy. I introduce myself. We have a common friend, the girl who later became my assistant for a couple of years. Incredible young lady from Memphis. And I meet Stacy and said, uh, "You know, I think you need to have dinner with my son." And she said, "Can you make that happen?" And I said, "Oh yeah." <laughs> Josh walked up and he had met her on one other occasion. And I said, I think you guys need to have dinner and I'm going to make that happen. Josh looked at Stacy, who's drop dead gorgeous, and looked at me and looked at Stacy and looked back at me and said, I so respect that.
1: (laughs) uh, Says one time that following your parents' advice was a good thing.
0: Yeah, he's been a listen when you have a home run like that. You've got a lot of street cred with the kids. I mean, Josh is like, whatever you say, man, this is awesome. And, uh, but anyway, all that to say, how they meet, just to be clear, I don't have a philosophical problem. The problem is the challenge is specific, and I don't live in this world, but if you're on some apps and you've got some questions and it's a hookup culture and you don't understand what you're doing, it's just a smorgasbord of bad decisions. Yeah, That's a different thing than meeting somebody who shares a love for Christ, and that relationship makes sense. So it's not the venue, it's not the platform or the technology. It really goes back to motive and heart and maturity and purpose under Christ. So I just want to be clear about that principle, You know how you get introduced is neither here nor there, except you can find yourself on some awful apps and some awful places with some awful people if you're not careful. Byron, if I could, just for a moment, I think, to go back for a minute, I think dating is defined in our culture by being physical. I think that's part of the hookup culture. You do get on the, you talked about getting on the ride. The law of diminishing returns, man, once you've held her hand, you want to slip your arm around her in the movie. I mean, you act like you're tired, you've got a yawn, whatever it is, the oldest tricks in the book. But holding her hand is awesome, but if I held her hand and she didn't reject me, I'd love to put my arm around her. And then at some point you're going to want to kiss her. That's the way it rolls. When I'm doing these talks with high school kids or junior high, I say you want to kiss, and then who knows, super kiss. Uh, I mean, I do all the one-liners, but that's the law of diminishing returns.
1: Let me back up too, if you don't mind, in my yeah. own personal life, Gary. I, as a teenager, came to Christ up until the time before I even got involved with a, a church group. You know, I lived a very pagan lifestyle, had really bad habits in dating relationships, as even as a teenager. And I remember the first girl I took out on a date as a Christian. I was a Christian. I knew she was a Christian, went to the same church together in the same youth group. And I asked her out on a date and had a wonderful time. We went out to eat and we were going to close out the evening. And I asked, could we pray? And I thought that's what Christians were supposed to do when they go on a date was pray together. And so we prayed and I was saying goodnight. And all of a sudden she goes, I just can't believe it. I can't believe it. And I said, well, I thought I did something wrong. She said, you haven't tried to lay your hand on me one time tonight. And out of just true honesty, I said, well, I thought that's the way Christians were supposed to date. I had really no instruction on how Christians were supposed to date, other than, I guess, the Holy Spirit teaching me. But I didn't think Christians, you know, until they were in a serious relationship and moving toward marriage, were supposed to have physical contact.
0: And there's a great premise for that biblically, That conversation, and I mirror some of that with you. I didn't date well, even as a new Christian. I clearly knew I would be doing things or in situations that I wouldn't be proud of or would never do in front of people that I loved or respected. But looking back, I recognize I also, back in those days, we didn't talk about dating. We didn't talk about sexuality. We didn't disciple, honestly. It was a youth group, and it was cookies and Kool-Aid and retreat and volleyball. And I really would have benefited, I think, from some strong men, ideally my dad, but some strong men who would have said, Gary, yeah, let's look at God's Word about how you might date. I didn't have that. Not blaming that on them, I had plenty of conviction on my own. Sure. I think, I think accountability and some encouragement, and some primary relationships there would be helpful. Second thought is this, that we will— start dating, and we'll be in that law of diminishing returns. We'll like, for me, i like a girl, and let's say I'm 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, and at some point, it's going really well, and I will say, I love you. Most girls will say, I love you, too, after 20 dates, because we're made to give and receive love. What she will hear is, I love you, which means unconditionally, and I love you, and love never ends, and love never fails, and What I'm saying, even though I'm not even wise enough to know this, is I love you until this dating relationship gets old, stale, distracted. You get on my last nerve. We struggle too much physically. We don't struggle enough physically. Whatever it is, it turns out in our dating culture, they are temporary relationships. I call them mini, M-I-N-I, marriages where we make promises we cannot keep say, I love you, the old cliche of a letter jacket or a ID bracelet or putting the class ring around your neck, pictures of what's done now when you're not just talking, but you're dating each other. And the guys would know that she belongs to me and girls would know that I belong to her. And it is a mini marriage followed in the difficult moments by a mini divorce. You have the same conversation you had when you... Started many marriages and you say, hey, nobody's ever met as much to me as you. You are awesome. Girls like you can finish my sentences. But I think we need to date other people. I think we need to just be friends. I need some personal space. It's not you. It's me, which always means it's you. But, you know, that's what we say. And then we have a mini divorce give our stuff back and our hearts are broken if we've been broken up with and we move on to the next decision just like the last one we made with no better plan and so our hearts are broken and in a lot of us, we have a string of those leading up to when we get serious at some point in our life with somebody we think we would spend our life with and maybe we've matured spiritually, uh, maybe we're just more mature developmentally, we're down the road, we're in our senior year of college, we've met somebody, this is going to be that person. We have that relationship. And I often tell people the third principle is, everybody you date, you're going to either break up with them, that relationship will end, or you will get married. Those are the choices. Now, I'm aware of cohabitation. The odds of cohabitation lasting a lifetime are like lightning strikes. We don't talk about that in the common culture. But we'll have this mini-marriage, mini-divorce, then we'll find somebody we want to spend our life with, and maybe we're maturing, and we get married, and we love the Lord, and down the road, you alluded to it earlier, seven weeks, seven months, seven years, things are not good. Somebody's sick, we've got a baby, we run out of money before we run out of months, the car's broken down, we don't like our job, we lost our job, our parents are sick, we got two kids, and you're pregnant again, and how did that happen, and Whatever it is, there's stress in the marriage. And the pattern of our life has been to make promises we're not going to keep, step out of them when things got hard. That's how dating is done in our country. We teach making promises with our lips we're not going to live up to. And then we accept that that's just learning about different people and finding out who it is we are going to marry someday. And it's not that there isn't some shadow of wisdom in that. But the fact is, we go all the way to these many marriages and typically we're physical on some level. We're touching somebody who does not belong to us. There's no covenant relationship. So when we're married, we wonder why it's so easy to walk away. Well, that's what we've learned. Walk away when it becomes hard.
1: And, Gary, let's talk about some of those bad dating habits in the relationship because you're describing how this can play out and really wreak havoc on a marriage you know that's meant to that's right. to be healthy and lasting and so uh you know these are there's some warning signs here that you can pay attention to it i can't help but think we've got those possibly listening right now to our program and our conversation that are saying you know i'm with you i have been in this cycle of bad habits and dating and i want to stop it but i'm not really sure how to do that
0: yeah there is a um uh There's a tremendous need, uh, I referenced it earlier, but I've, I've seen a tremendous need to know who you are, to have a primary personal walk with God, where your joy at the base of who you are is not dependent on how the next person that you're dating or hanging out with, how they feel. And so often, and this is such a layman's moment here, I am not a marriage and family therapist, I'm not a professional counselor. But I used to say I had a relationship for several years, and I said, I'm, I was codependent before it was cool. You know, codependency, we talk about that kind of thing now, but you got to know who you are, yeah. who you're not, who you are in Christ, with the kind of confidence that you can grace and love, but you're not dependent on that other person. And so often in these little mini-marriages or the dating cycles that we go through, it's all about the other person we're trying to acquire or even trap somebody so that we'll have somebody so we'll be validated by having somebody in our life. That's a dead end. And then there are classic strategies. If I give myself away to you physically, then you'll be either obligated or you'll want, or I can't say no to you physically. Those are real kind of things. Or I'm so defined by you, I need you or know where you are 20 hours a day. And in the world of cell phones and text messages, I can only imagine how crazy that can be. Thinking back when I was in college, if I wasn't in a class with some girl I was dating, she didn't know where I was. And now, any given second, you could actually know on a phone if you set that up to do that. But you could text and be in somebody's life, intruding into somebody's life. 24-7.
1: We had a friend of ours, you know, a young single friend that was in a relationship. The person she was dating did not want her to have any type of social media activity, so she had to basically make up a false identity so that she could keep up with her friends on social media so we would know her by this other person (laughs) because he was so demanding of her time, wanted to know where she was all the time, and didn't want her to have social media. Well,
0: that is so common. You know, it is the conversation we had the last time we were together, you know, we're more connected than ever, but we're more isolated than ever. And I think those kind of pressures are manifest in dating relationships that aren't healthy. We can try to control our our communication. Even how we post on social media becomes a thing. Yeah. You know, I saw that you were at Chili's with this other person. What were you doing there? Or what was that about? Or, you know, it, it can become intrusive.
1: The drama of many marriages, like you're saying.
0: Absolutely. And it's about people who do not belong to us, which is the gift of covenant marriage, which we just pretend to have when we date.
1: Hey, Gary, let's talk about some of the ground rules when it comes to dating, particularly dating that seems to indicate by God's leadership confirmation of family and friends and that inner voice that you both are hearing that seems to indicate that you're heading towards something very special, what are some things that you should include in that time, and what are some things that you should totally avoid?
0: You just alluded to it. I think having the affirmation of authority in your life and accountability in your life is a huge thing. Our kids, we are very, very grateful and very blessed, and and it's not all about wonderful parenting, but we were just very blessed that our kids would defer to us or look to us for wisdom about the people they hung with. We loved their friends, but if there was a red flag somewhere, I was going to say it, or my wife was going to say it. And I think being affirmed by or, or accountable to authority is one place there. Too if there's not a love that's evident for Christ and the body of Christ, that's a red flag. If there's a relationship where somebody has an agenda that doesn't look like a chaste, God-honoring relationship physically, that's a red flag. That, that's a problem. Uh, if there's jealousy at play and there's undue expectation about ownership, huge red flag. I mean, those are ground rule kind of things for me. I've, I've heard Josh, my son, say, and I'm sure it's not unique or to him or original to him, But it's very difficult to swim upstream from the current of your five closest friends. That's a great line. I don't know where that came from. But who your friends are when you date or who your children's friends are have a lot to do with who they're likely to be reinforced about, about hanging out or entering into a dating relationship. Uh, Chemistry will lie to you. Every guy can see a pretty girl. Uh, And I'm going to sound cynical, but pretty is a dime a dozen. You know, pretty is kind of like talented. It's everywhere, but it's about character. It's about somebody who loves Christ, who's going to be selfless in their walk, appropriately, developmentally uh, mature, responsible, respectful. There's going to be a relationship and a language of honor there. Man, I, I would get excited about those kind of relationships in a dating, uh, in a dating relationship.
1: Gary, our time on this program is coming to an end. Uh, Are there any particular resources that you would recommend that couples should include in their dating relationship?
0: Oh, my gosh. I just got here without the book. I am so sorry, Byron. But Ben Stewart has written a book about single dating engaged. I think that's the title of the book. Ben Stewart. It's S-T-U-A-R-T. Ben is the... uh, pastor of Passion City Church that is currently launching in Washington, D.C. He's a part of the Passion City Church team. Ben Stewart, he did break away at Texas A&M and literally would have six, eight, ten thousand students in a weekly Bible study. He's one of the best communicators I know, and I am sure, based on the excerpts I've read, that the rest of the book is stellar. Ben Stewart, uh, I just don't know how you get better than that book for some Big picture kingdom advice about dating and understanding the pitfalls and the blessings.
1: And Gary, I think too, you would be available for single conferences if churches in the area would wanting to uh, put on something like this. You would be available, and people could connect with you.
0: I would love to. It is one of my favorite things in the world. We laugh a lot. I make it funny and palpable, but I am really convicted about dating in a way that honors Christ that doesn't lend itself to. The many marriages, many divorces, the, the bad habits, and uh, fundamentally about guarding our heart in a way that would honor Christ. I would love to do that for churches. I do colleges. I've done fraternities and sororities, singles events. I um, mean, I've done a lot of that over the years. And uh, in spite of my advancing age, <laughs> I, I'm ridiculously uh, fun and hip, if you believe that.
1: But I believe it.
0: That's just crazy. I can't believe I said that. But I would <laughs> really, really love to
1: do that. All right. And our friends can connect with you, Gary, at GaryMaze.com. That's the website, GaryMaze.com. Hey, Gary, it's always a pleasure to have you on Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by today. My pleasure,
0: Byron. Thank you
1: so much. Friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. Be sure to check out Gary's website at garymaze.com. And also, you can share today's radio show as a podcast by going to iTunes and searching for Byron Tyler Radio or Mid South Viewpoint. Be sure and give us a review and share the podcast too with your friends. Talk to you next time. Bye bye.